chapter twenty four of the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one by edmund burke chapter twenty four part seven of observations as the author has stated this indian taxation for no visible purpose relative to his plan of supply so he has stated many other projects with as little if any distinct end unless perhaps to show you how full he is of projects for the public good and what vast expectations may be formed of him or his friends if they should be translated into administration it is also from some opinion that the speculations may one day become our public measures that i think it worth while to trouble the reader at all about them two of them stand out in high relievo beyond the rest the first is a change in the internal representation of this country by enlarging our number of constituents the second is an addition to our representatives by new american members of parliament i pass over here all considerations how far such a system will be an improvement of our constitution according to any sound theory not that i mean to condemn such speculative inquiries concerning this great object of the national attention they may tend to clear doubtful points and possibly may lead as they have often done to real improvements what i object to is their introduction into a discourse relating to the immediate state of our affairs and recommending plans of practical government in this view i see nothing in them but what is usual with the author an attempt to raise discontent in the people of england to balance those discontents which the measures of his friends had already raised in america what other reason can he have for suggesting that we are not happy enough to enjoy a sufficient number of voters in england i believe that most sober thinkers on this subject are rather of opinion that our fault is on the other side and that it would be more in the spirit of our constitution and more agreeable to the pattern of our best laws by lessening the number to add to the weight and independency of our voters and truly considering the immense and dangerous charge of elections the prostitute and daring venality the corruption of manners the idleness and profligacy of the lower sort of voters no prudent men would propose to increase such an evil if it be as i fear it is out of our power to administer to it any remedy the author proposes nothing further if he has any improvements that may balance or may lessen this inconvenience he is thought proper to keep them as usual in his own breast since he has been so reserved i should have wished he had been as cautious with regard to the project itself first because he observes justly that his scheme however it might improve the platform 
can add nothing to the authority of the legislature much i fear it will have a contrary operation for authority depending on opinion at least as much as on duty and ideas circulated among the people that our constitution is not so perfect as it ought to be before you are sure of mending it is a certain method of lessening it in the public opinion of this irreverent opinion of parliament the author himself complains in one part of his book and he endeavours to increase it in the other has he well considered what an immense operation any change in our constitution is how many discussions parties and passions it will necessarily excite and when you open it to inquiry in one part where the inquiry will stop experience shows us that no time can be fit for such changes but a time of general confusion when good men finding everything already broken up think it right to take advantage of the opportunity of such derangement in favour of an useful alteration perhaps a time of the greatest security and tranquillity both at home and abroad may likewise be fit but will the author affirm this to be just such a time transferring an idea of military to civil prudence he ought to know how dangerous it is to make an alteration of your disposition in the face of an enemy now comes his american representation here too as usual he takes no notice of any difficulty nor says anything to obviate those objections that must naturally arise in the minds of his readers he throws you his politics as he does his revenue do you make something of them if you can is not the reader a little astonished at the proposal of an american representation from that quarter it is proposed merely as a project of speculative improvement not from the necessity in the case not to add anything to the authority of parliament but that we may afford a greater attention to the concerns of the americans and give them a better opportunity of stating their grievances and of obtaining redress i am glad to find the author has at length discovered that we have not given a sufficient attention to their concerns or a proper redress to their grievances his great friend would once have been exceedingly displeased with any person who should tell him that he did not attend sufficiently to those concerns he thought he did so when he regulated the colonies over and over again he thought he did so when he formed two general systems of revenue one of port duties and the other of internal taxation these systems supposed or ought to suppose the greatest attention to and the most detailed information of all their affairs however by contending for the american representation he seems at last driven virtually to admit that great caution ought to be used in the exercise of all our legislative rights over an object so remote from our eye and so little connected with our immediate feelings that in prudence we ought not to be quite so ready with our taxes until we can secure the desired representation in parliament 
perhaps it may be some time before this hopeful scheme can be brought to perfect maturity although the author seems to be in no wise aware of any obstructions that lie in the way of it he talks of his union just as he does of his taxes and his savings with as much sang-froid and ease as if his wish and the enjoyment were exactly the same thing he appears not to have troubled his head with the infinite difficulty of settling that representation on a fair balance of wealth and numbers throughout the several provinces of america and the west indies under such an infinite variety of circumstances it cost him nothing to fight with nature and to conquer the order of providence which manifestly opposes itself to the possibility of such a parliamentary union but let us to indulge his passions for projects and power suppose the happy time arrived when the author comes into the ministry and is to realize his speculations the writs are issued for electing members for america and the west indies some provinces receive them in six weeks some in ten some in twenty a vessel may be lost and then some provinces may not receive them at all but let it be that they all receive them at once and in the shortest time a proper space must be given for proclamation and for the election some weeks at least but the members are chosen and if ships are ready to sail in about six more they arrive in london in the meantime the parliament has sat in business far advanced without american representatives nay by this time it may happen that the parliament is dissolved and then the members ship themselves again to begin elected the writs may arrive in america before the poor members of a parliament in which they never sat can arrive at their several provinces a new interest is formed and they find other members are chosen whilst they are on the high seas but if the writs and members arrive together here is at best a new trial of skill amongst the candidates after one set of them have well aired themselves with their two voyages of six thousand miles however in order to facilitate everything to the author we will suppose them all at once more elected and steering again to old england with a good heart and a fair westerly wind in their stern on their arrival they find all in a hurry and bustle in and out condolence and congratulation the crown is demised another parliament is to be called away back to america again on a fourth voyage and to a third election does the author mean to make our kings as immortal in their personal as in their politic character or whilst he bountifully adds to their life will he take from them their prerogative of dissolving parliaments in favour of the american union or are the american representatives to be perpetual and to feel neither demises of the crown nor dissolutions of parliament but these things may be granted to him without bringing him much nearer to his point what does he think of re-election is the american member the only one who is not to take a place or the only one to be exempted from the ceremony of re-election how will this great politician preserve the rights of electors the fairness of returns and the privilege of the house of commons as the sole judge of such contests 
it would undoubtedly be a glorious sight to have eight or ten petitions or double returns from boston and barbados from philadelphia and jamaica the members returned and the petitioners with all their train of attorneys solicitors mayors selectmen provost marshals and above five hundred or a thousand witnesses come to the bar of the house of commons possibly we might be interrupted in the enjoyment of this pleasing spectacle if a war should break out in our constitutional fleet loaded with members of parliament returning officers petitions and witnesses the electors and elected should become a prize to the french or spaniards and be conveyed to cartagena or to la veracruz and from thence perhaps to mexico or lima there to remain until a cartel for members of parliament can be settled or until the war is ended in truth the author has little studied this business or he might have known that some of the most considerable provinces of america such for instance as connecticut and massachusetts bay have not in each of them two men who can afford at a distance from their estates to spend a thousand pounds a year how can these provinces be represented at westminster if their province pays them they are american agents with salaries and not independent members of parliament it is true that formerly in england members had salaries from their constituents but they all had salaries and were all in this way upon a par if these american representatives have no salaries then they must add to the list of our pensioners and dependents at court or they must starve there is no alternative enough of this visionary union in which much extravagance appears without any fancy and the judgment is shocked without anything to refresh the imagination it looks as if the author had dropped down from the moon without any knowledge of the general nature of this globe of the general nature of its inhabitants without the least acquaintance with the affairs of this country governor pownall has handled the same subject to do him justice he treats it upon far more rational principles of speculation and much more like a man of business he thinks erroneously i can see but he does think that our legislative rights are incomplete without such a representation it is no wonder therefore that he endeavours by every means to obtain it not like our author who is always on velvet he is aware of some difficulties and he proposes some solutions but nature is too hard for both these authors and america is and ever will be without actual representation in the house of commons nor will any minister be wild enough even to propose such a representation in parliament however he may choose to throw out that project together with others equally far from his real opinions and remote from his designs merely to fall in with the different views and captivate the affections of different sorts of men whether these projects arise from the author's real political principles are only brought out in subservience to his political views they compose the whole of anything that is like precise and definite which the author has given us to expect from that administration which is so much the subject of his praises and prayers as to his general propositions that there is a deal of difference between impossibilities and great difficulties that a great scheme cannot be carried unless made the business of successive administrations 
that virtuous and able men are the fittest to serve their country all this i look on as no more than so much rubble to fill up the spaces between the regular masonry pretty much in the same light i cannot forbear considering his detached observations on commerce such as that the system for colony regulations would be very simple and mutually beneficial to great britain and her colonies if the old navigation laws were adhered to that the transportation should be in all cases in ships belonging to british subjects that even british ships should not be generally received into the colonies from any part of europe except the dominions of great britain that it is unreasonable that corn and such like products should be restrained to come first to a british port what do all these fine observations signify some of them condemn as ill practices things that were never practised at all some recommend to be done things that always have been done others indeed convey though obliquely and loosely some insinuations highly dangerous to our commerce if i could prevail on myself to think the author meant to ground any practice upon these general propositions i should think it very necessary to ask a few questions about some of them for instance what does he mean by talking of an adherence to the old navigation laws does he mean that the particular law twelve car two c nineteen commonly called the act of navigation is to be adhered to and that the several subsequent additions amendments and exceptions ought to be all repealed if so he will make a strange havoc in the whole system of our trade laws which have been universally acknowledged to be full as well founded in the alterations and exceptions as the act of charles the second in the original provisions and to pursue full as wisely the great end of that very politic law the increase of the british navigation i fancy the writer could hardly propose anything more alarming to those immediately interested in that navigation than such a repeal if he does not mean this he has got no farther than a nugatory proposition which nobody can contradict and for which no man is the wiser that the regulations for the colony trade would be few and simple if the old navigation laws were adhered to i utterly deny as a fact that they ought to be so sounds well enough but this proposition is of the same nugatory nature with some of the former the regulations for the colony trade ought not to be more nor fewer nor more nor less complex than the occasion requires and as that trade is in a great measure a system of art and restriction they can neither be few nor simple it is true that the very principle may be destroyed by multiplying to excess the means of securing it never did a minister depart more from the author's ideas of simplicity or more embarrass the trade of america with the multiplicity and intricacy of regulations and ordinances than his boasted minister of seventeen sixty four that minister seemed to be possessed with something hardly short of a rage for regulation and restriction he had so multiplied bonds certificates affidavits 
warrants sufferances and cockets had supported them with such severe penalties and extended them without the least consideration of circumstances to so many objects that had they all continued in their original force commerce must speedily have expired under them some of them the ministry which gave them birth was obliged to destroy with their own hand they signed the condemnation of their own regulations confessing in so many words in the preamble of their act of the fifth george the third that some of these regulations had laid an unnecessary restraint on the trade and correspondence of his majesty's american subjects this in that ministry was a candid confession of a mistake but every alteration made in those regulations by their successors is to be the effect of envy and american misrepresentation so much for the author's simplicity in regulation i have now gone through all which i think immediately essential in the author's idea of war of peace of the comparative states of england and france of our actual situation in his projects of economy of finance of commerce and of constitutional improvement there remains nothing now to be considered except his heavy censures upon the administration which was formed in seventeen sixty five which is commonly known by the name of the marquis of rockingham's administration as the administration which preceded it is by that of mr grenville these censures relate chiefly to three heads one to the repeal of the american stamp act two to the commercial regulations then made three to the course of foreign negotiations during that short period a person who knew nothing of public affairs but from the writings of this author would be led to conclude that at the time of the change in june seventeen sixty five some well-digested system of administration founded in national strength and in the affections of the people proceeding in all points with the most reverential and tender regard to the laws and pursuing with equal wisdom and success everything which could tend to the internal prosperity and to the external honour and dignity of this country have been all at once subverted by an eruption of a sort of wild licentious unprincipled invaders who wantonly and with a barbarous rage had defaced a thousand fair monuments of the constitutional and political skill of their predecessors it is natural indeed that this author should have some dislike to the administration which was formed in seventeen sixty five his views in most things were different from those of his friends in some altogether opposite to them it is impossible that both of these administrations should be the objects of public esteem their different principles compose some of the strongest political lines which discriminate the parties even now subsisting amongst us the ministers of seventeen sixty four are not indeed followed by very many in their opposition yet a large part of the people now in office entertain or pretend to entertain sentiments entirely conformable to theirs while some of the former colleagues of the ministry which was formed in seventeen sixty five however they may have abandoned the connection and contradicted by their conduct the principles of their former friends pretend on their part still to adhere to the same maxims 
all the lesser divisions which are indeed rather names of personal attachment than of party distinction fall in with the one or the other of these leading parties i intend to state as shortly as i am able the general condition of public affairs and the disposition of the minds of men at the time of the remarkable change of system in seventeen sixty five the reader will have thereby a more distinct view of the comparative merits of these several plans and will receive more satisfaction concerning the ground and reason of the measures which were then pursued than i believe can be derived from the perusal of those partial representations contained in the state of the nation and the other writings of those who have continued for now nearly three years in the undisturbed possession of the press this will i hope be some apology for my dwelling a little on this part of the subject on the resignation of the earl of bute in seventeen sixty three our affairs have been delivered into the hands of three ministers of his recommendation mr grenville the earl of egremont and the earl of halifax this arrangement notwithstanding the retirement of lord bute announced to the public a continuance of the same measures nor was there more reason to expect a change from the death of the earl of egremont the earl of sandwich supplied his place the duke of bedford and the gentlemen who act in that connection and whose general character and politics were sufficiently understood added to the strength of the ministry without making any alteration in their plan of conduct such was the constitution of the ministry which was changed in seventeen sixty five as to their politics the principles of the peace of paris governed in foreign affairs in domestic the same scheme prevailed of contradicting the opinions and disgracing most of the persons who had been countenanced and employed in the late reign the inclinations of the people were little attended to and a disposition to the use of forcible methods ran through the whole tenor of administration the nation in general was uneasy and dissatisfied sober men saw causes for it in the constitution of the ministry and the conduct of the ministers the ministers who have usually a short method on such occasions attributed their unpopularity wholly to the efforts of faction however this might be the licentiousness and tumults of the common people and the contempt of government of which our author so often and so bitterly complains as owing to the mismanagement of the subsequent administrations had at no time risen to a greater or more dangerous height the measures taken to suppress that spirit were as violent and licentious as the spirit itself injudicious precipitate and some of them illegal instead of allaying they tended infinitely to inflame the distemper and whoever will be at the least pains to examine will find those measures not only the causes of the tumults which then prevailed but the real sources of almost all the disorders which have arisen since that time more intent on making a victim to party than an example of justice they blundered in the method of pursuing their vengeance by this means a discovery was made of many practices common indeed in the office of secretary of state but wholly repugnant to our laws and to the genius of the english constitution one of the worst of these was the wanton and indiscriminate seizure of papers 
even in cases where the safety of the state was not pretended in justification of so harsh a proceeding the temper of the ministry had excited a jealousy which made the people more than commonly vigilant concerning every power which was exercised by government the abuse however sanctioned by custom was evident but the ministry instead of resting in a prudent inactivity or what would have been still more prudent taking the lead in quieting the minds of the people and ascertaining the law upon those delicate points made use of the whole influence of government to prevent a parliamentary resolution against these practices of office and less the colourable reasons offered in argument against this parliamentary procedure should be mistaken for the real motives of their conduct all the advantage of privilege all the arts and finenesses of pleading and great sums of public money were lavished to prevent any decision upon those practices in the courts of justice in the meantime in order to weaken since they could not immediately destroy the liberty of the press the privilege of parliament was voted away in all accusations for a seditious libel the freedom of debate in parliament itself was no less menaced officers of the army of long and meritorious service and of small fortunes were chosen as victims for a single vote by an exertion of ministerial power which have been very rarely used and which is extremely unjust as depriving men not only of a place but a profession and is indeed of the most pernicious example both in a civil and a military light whilst all things were managed at home with such a spirit of disorderly despotism abroad there was a proportionable abatement of all spirit some of our most just and valuable claims were in a manner abandoned this indeed seemed not very inconsistent conduct in the ministers who had made the treaty of paris with regard to our domestic affairs there was no want of industry but there was a great deficiency of temper and judgment and manly comprehension of the public interest the nation certainly wanted relief and government attempted to administer it two ways were principally chosen for this great purpose the first by regulations the second by new funds of revenue agreeably to this plan a new naval establishment was formed at a good deal of expense and to little effect to aid in the collection of the customs regulation was added to regulation and the strictest and most unreserved orders were given for a prevention of all contraband trade here and in every part of america a teasing custom-house and a multiplicity of perplexing regulations ever have and ever will appear the masterpiece of finance to people of narrow views as a paper against smuggling and the importation of french finery never fails of furnishing a very popular column in a newspaper the greatest part of these regulations were made for america and they fell so indiscriminately on all sorts of contraband or supposed contraband that some of the most valuable branches of trade were driven violently from our ports which caused an universal consternation throughout the colonies every part of the trade was infinitely distressed by them men of war now for the first time armed with regular commissions of custom-house officers 
invested the coasts and gave to the collection of revenue the air of hostile contribution about the same time that these regulations seemed to threaten the destruction of the only trade from whence the plantations derived any specie an act was made putting a stop to the future emission of paper currency which used to supply its place among them hand in hand with this went another act for obliging the colonies to provide quarters for soldiers instantly followed another law for levying throughout all america new port duties upon a vast variety of commodities of their consumption and some of which lay heavy upon objects necessary for their trade and fishery immediately upon the heels of these and amidst the uneasiness and confusion produced by a crowd of new impositions and regulations some good some evil some doubtful all crude and ill-considered came another act for imposing an universal stamp duty on the colonies and this was declared to be little more than an experiment and a foundation of future revenue to render these proceedings the more irritating to the colonies the principal argument used in favour of their ability to pay such duties was the liberality of the grants of their assemblies during the late war never could any argument be more insulting and mortifying to a people habituated to the granting of their own money taxes for the purpose of raising revenue had hitherto been sparingly attempted in america without ever doubting the extent of its lawful power parliament always doubted the propriety of such impositions and the americans on their part never thought of contesting a right by which they were so little affected their assemblies in the main answered all the purposes necessary to the internal economy of a free people and provided for all the exigencies of government which arose amongst themselves in the midst of that happy enjoyment they never thought of critically settling the exact limits of a power which was necessary to their union their safety their equality and even their liberty thus the two very difficult points superiority in the presiding state and freedom in the subordinate were on the whole sufficiently that is practically reconciled without agitating those vexatious questions which in truth rather belong to metaphysics than politics and which can never be moved without shaking the foundations of the best governments that have ever been constituted by human wisdom by this measure was let loose that dangerous spirit of disquisition not in the coolness of philosophical inquiry but inflamed with all the passions of a haughty resentful people who thought themselves deeply injured and that they were contending for everything that was valuable in the world in england our ministers went on without the least attention to these alarming dispositions just as if they were doing the most common things in the most usual way and among a people not only passive but pleased they took no one step to divert the dangerous spirit which began even then to appear in the colonies to compromise with it to mollify it or to subdue it no new arrangements were made in civil government no new powers or instructions were given to governors no augmentation was made or new disposition of forces never was so critical a measure pursued with so little provision against 
its necessary consequences as if all common prudence had abandoned the ministers and as if they meant to plunge themselves and us headlong into that gulf which stood gaping before them by giving a year's notice of the project of their stamp act they allowed time for all the discontents of that country to fester and come to a head and for all the arrangements which factious men could make towards an opposition to the law at the same time they carefully concealed from the eye of parliament those remonstrances which they had actually received and which in the strongest manner indicated the discontent of some of the colonies and the consequences which might be expected they concealed them even in defiance of an order of council that they should be laid before parliament thus by concealing the true state of the case they rendered the wisdom of the nation as improvident as their own temerity either in preventing or guarding against the mischief it has indeed from the beginning to this hour been the uniform policy of this set of men in order at any hazard to obtain a present credit to propose whatever might be pleasing as attended with no difficulty and afterwards to throw all the disappointment of the wild expectations they had raised upon those who have the hard task of freeing the public from the consequences of their pernicious projects whilst the commerce and tranquillity of the whole empire were shaken in this manner our affairs grew still more distracted by the internal dissensions of our ministers treachery and ingratitude were charged from one side despotism and tyranny from the other the vertigo of the regency bill the awkward reception of the silk bill in the house of commons and the inconsiderate and abrupt rejection of it in the house of lords the strange and violent tumults which arose in consequence and which were rendered more serious by being charged by the ministers upon one another the report of a gross and brutal treatment of the blank by a minister at the same time odious to the people all conspired to leave the public at the close of the session of seventeen sixty five in as critical and perilous a situation as ever the nation was or could be in a time when she was not immediately threatened by her neighbours chapter twenty four